Welcome back to Beyond the Sectors, your bi-monthly podcast all about the beyond world of author duo Kit Roca. My name is Chelsea. And I'm Anna. And today we are here to do the second book in the Gideon's Writer series, continuing on our adventures in Sector 1. We are reading Deacon today. Though so I think it should be called Anna. I was going to so say, don't. I have it on good authority that Brie and Donna uh, also <laughs> believe it should have been named Anna, but obviously they are... Uh, doing a tr- a thing with their titles mm-hmm. here that they didn't want to break. But yes, <laughs> this is, uh, I would say, like 5149 Anna's book, more so than it's Yay. Deacon's book. But <laughs> the two Deacon are... Deacon has a role. <laughs> yeah, the two are intertwined, of course. Uh, do you want to go ahead and give us a plot synopsis? And guys, I promise this time we will actually talk about <laughs> the plot more so than we did in Ashwin. There's just there so, much so much others. There's there's so much to talk about with these Gideon's writers books. But yeah. let's start All with right. the plot. So in Deacon, it starts with the fact that um, we have first uh, the first female writer who is trying to find her place and feel really at home in this place, but conveniently is falling in love with her boss. And her boss has a secret history. As we find out, he was once a suicide king, a mercenary who has been sent to Sector 1 to kill Gideon and then becomes his right-hand man. Um, And But, you know... That might have been 20 years ago, but people remember. And uh, now he has brought danger back to Sector 1 because those suicide kings know where he's at and want to pay him back. Well, like, golly gee whiz, Anna, if Brie and Donna don't just love a reformed assassin. <laughs> these Both of our first two uh, characters here are uh, assassins in their own way. Granted, Ashwin was a military agent and um deacon was working as a mercenary but they both are doing their jobs oh yeah in fact when we first learn of deacon (laughs) we learn in ashwin's book because there's a moment where ashwin and him are talking and he says ashwin says you know i'm here to kill gideon blah 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 and deacon goes i know that was also why i was here 20 years ago and i never (laughs) left and so you're probably not going either buddy and it's this kind of moment that they share but Yes, we learn very early on, or we see early on a scene in which uh, Six and Bren have called everybody in to their sector, into Sector 3, to help them kind of figure out what's going on. There's been a fire, and it looks a little sketchy. They're not quite sure, so they call in Gideon's writers to kind of help look at it. And when they're there, they find a calling card, a literal playing card, of one of the kings, of the suicide king, and Deacon knows what's up. Yeah, it, it was a little CSI Gideon Writer style, you know. It was a Sector 1 CSI. Uh, the, <laughs> it was great because as they're walking in there, they're, you know, they're looking at like flames and weather. And then for all the like, there's a heat funnel and all that kind of stuff, it really comes down to like, oh crap. there's a card here and I know where this card is from exactly and so uh conveniently enough in all of his time serving for Gideon it's never really come up what brought Deacon into the fold but now that this situation is on their doorstep he doesn't have a lot of choice he's got to tell everyone what's going on he has to sit the writers down and tell them what originally brought him to the sector 
And each one of the writers kind of reacts to this and is impacted by this in a different way. And so the story then kind of overarchingly very much so becomes uh, Deacon figuring out how he can kind of now move forward with the writers now that his truth Mm -hmm. is on the table, while also putting the final nail in the coffin and fully extricating himself from his past relationship with this group and with the Suicide Kings. And like we talked about in Ashwin, getting to this place and in this concept of worthiness and and self-worth and self-value and those kinds of things, which is very much so also part of Anna's story as the first female writer and she's wrestling with all of the shit that we can imagine that that would entail right i mean even if she is welcomed by gideon and her fellow writers she still feels somebody apart um and feels that very much the pressures of being the first so just like gideon carries so much so much pressure being the leader um anna feels it that she cannot mess up that she can that so she so she accepts like she sees judgment when there isn't judgment or feels uh reproach when there isn't reproach so that's something you know like she yeah she likes deacon uh maybe a little too much uh, but he's like stern but bangable as, as is it what zeke says, <laughs> stern or? but bangable stern but bangable brunch daddies a whole <laughs> particular class of romance hero <laughs> of which deacon is a prime like major Idris Elba vibes coming off of Deacon just well, in like waves. I love and then, it so I mean, much. And then I mean, we get this little age dynamic thing mm-hmm. because she was a little girl growing up when he was already a writer along her father, beside her father. So there's all that thing that they have to like, he has to see her as a woman, uh, as a love interest, uh, and as somebody who is his equal. Uh, and she needs to see herself as his equal because he's been up here in the like nearly sainted. He's one of the three original writers that are still around. And honestly, like the fact that he screwed up this badly and had come in sort of puts makes him a little bit like, oh, you're not perfect. You're off that pedestal. Maybe I can greet you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it very much so feels like this equalizing moment. And I think what's so interesting to me about the relationship between the two of them is that like it is very much so this thing where Anna is like constantly worried about the external appearance right and it's like there's this one level of dynamic between them that is kind of deacon initiated that is like the age stuff or like the the stuff with the writers but her thing is very much so like she doesn't ever want anyone to question again, her worthiness or her ability to say that she's a writer of her own right. She basically never wants to be accused of sleeping her way to the top, right? Or of sleeping her way into the writers or of Mm -hmm. having that be the reason that XYZ task is attributed to her or whatever. And, you know, it's really interesting because that is a fully warranted, like, and valid fear because women and the world, but also... Kit, Brie and Donna have also created this world in which like toxic masculinity doesn't really exist amongst our core group of men in the same kind of way. Like, I don't know if it's founded for Anna to think that. Like, obviously, we don't know everyone in Sector 1. I'm sure there would have been people and there will always be people who like kind of say that and think that. But amongst like 
the writers and the core group of like people, I don't know if that actually would have been something that they would have thought or thrown in her face. Now, whether that's because of her father and the fact that she's coming in with this like familial legacy, I just think it's right. It's an interesting reflection. Yeah, on it's a lot almost of because I mean, it's always been men, so it's always just been men, and um. We don't know, you know, like, I don't know, are there female royal guards? Um, uh, but, you know, because she is, so I think, you know, she can't stand but feel it just because she's the first one, even if it's been like by happenstance, but it wasn't by happenstance. Um, and I really love how when we have Deacon and Anna talk it out of why she felt this hostility from him or this maybe not even hostility, but just maybe uncertainty about her from him. It wasn't about her gender. Uh, it was really about the fact that he didn't think she chose this life and how personal that feels to him because he was someone who lost his parents young and didn't choose his life as a mercenary either. It was survival. And here's somebody who's trained their child to go this way and so he doesn't know does she has she ever seen something else and i love how she turns that around and says you know i wouldn't have done all these things if i also didn't want it and it's that's fascinating because it's like twofold like one there is again that you know we'll call it the okay man problem of he's trying to operate to protect her but it's very interesting to me because that whole conversation it very much so felt like the issues deacon had were with, oh, is it Jim, her, James, Jordan. whatever, her father, or Jordan, yeah. Basically, her, her his issues are with her father and the way her father kind of chose to raise her and bring her into this life. And because her father is dead and Deacon has a lot of, you know, there's a lot of history and impact wrapped up in the death of the writers just mm-hmm. in general, that then kind of gets visited down onto his relationship, like with her in that manifestation of like, he never takes the time to really ask, but always just kind of assumes and wonders and ha- and struggles with this idea of her being forced into it because he, like you said, was older, was one of the original three, was watching her father bring her into this community in this way, not as like her peer, but as like an mm-hmm. older person, mm-hmm. more as a peer mm-hmm. of her father. And so I think that there is some of that that gets wrapped up in the way that he then is addressing it with Anna specifically. That's really, really interesting. And I think is a really cool aspect of that like kind of age difference dynamic. Right. And there's this whole element of the writers that gets really explored in this book about, you know, you have a pacifist faith who has a military branch. Okay. And a superpower military branch, you know, because they're not like just regular soldiers. They're like super focused soldiers who do amazing things. And um, they do it so no one else has to, right? So they, they accept damnation by taking on too many deaths. Because the idea is in this world, like you can have some stuff forgiven through labor, right? And through work. And, but... There's a limit to that. There's only so many things you can make up for in your life through good if you've done so much bad. Like the scales just won't balance. And they the the expectation 
for everybody is like while they're sainted in those the walls of the the, the Gideon's the, the temple of the writers they really won't be in heaven because they mm-hmm. they've killed too much on the uh, on the behalf of sector one and then but at the same time so there's so there's that thing of like she he also even though deacon is not a believer he knows she's a believer right uh so like how could you choose damnation um but then you know anna just like no i don't believe my god will damn me or my my father or anybody who sacrificed for his people you know so it's it, it again just i love the 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 variety no, of yeah, it's a very interesting theology yeah and it's because because of the like hispanic influence it like this feels very like Mm-hmm. Catholic, big C Catholic in a lot of like the traditions that are being pulled for and in kind of this like language of purgatory or heaven because basically the, images of the, the writers assume this kind of like transmute, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the saintliness of it all and the writers assume this kind of transmuters of mm-hmm. sin, right? They basically become these kind of like sacrificial, that's what the crows mm-hmm. are for. The, they are taking on and absorbing, like you were saying, kind of the, quote, higher level sins and the weightier sins of their entire community so that the individuals don't have to. They fight so that no individual of sector one has to pick up a weapon and put that black mark on their soul. But that really comes to play in an interesting way in this book because it creates this kind of almost like live hard, die young, one foot in the grave, we're already halfway there, fuck it all atmosphere that like, not every writer interacts with that in the same way. But that is kind of like the underlying pervasive culture within the writer community of like, if you're already halfway to dead, and you have already, you know, if your family has already mourned your death, the minute you sign up, that influences the way that you act and the hope that you have. And I think it's really fascinating. And I really like that towards the end of this book, Gideon apologizes for that or Gideon recognizes that he, like, it's almost like it's not necessarily through the fault of his own, but through the systems and the organization of the way that this religion has come to be, that is the side effect. And that is something we learn that he's been deliberately trying to counteract with Anna and with allowing Anna or with inviting Anna into the writers like that is specifically what she's there to do is to kind of push back against that really kind of toxic like mental attitude towards death and dying and the whole yeah, situation. Yeah and we see that with like Jaden uh, and his sister uh, how you know she's not from sector one so she has a hard time with how sector one mourns or not mourns and um she struggles with how to face that um because yeah other people might have mourned him already but he was still her brother and um trying to figure out what people's intentions and connections are going to be to her now that he's dead um and we see so much with anna who she had parents who had love and she grew up with a father even though like so she was a daughter of a writer we don't see daughters of writers anymore because they're they don't build permanent relationships and she's so she is a heritage of that and a legacy of that so it's a reminder that that's not always what writers were um 
And so again, then, so she becomes an app because she also, she has a very strong relationship with her aunts. Um, and you get a sense that she could have had a place in that bakery had they, had she wanted to have it. She still has a place in that bakery right now. If she wants to walk away from the writers. Um, so it's sort of like, puts a lie to the idea that you have to sort of give away your family, uh, that you have to be committed unto death uh, to be somebody who can do this job. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting kind of echo of a theme that we saw in Ashwin a lot, right? Which is this idea of like, what the balance is worth, ultimately, right? Like, yes, you can give up your family and your friends and remove yourself as much as possible from those connections. And that will protect you in a certain way. And it will allow certain parts of your emotions or your heart to be kept safe. But like, at what Mm -hmm. cost? And at what ultimate sacrifice and trade away? And like, Gideon in that monologue also explains in Deacon that like, that came from a good place, right? Like his kind of decree that writers weren't really going to have families came from this place of not wanting to widow wives or husbands or orphan children. And that's very like a good instinct, but also you then cut off this access of this other emotional branch from all of these people who are putting themselves in a place where what they need most is probably this concept of hope and something to return to that goes beyond just the Rios family or their allegiance to the protection of the Rios family that needs to be something on an individual level for them. Right. And because, I mean, we have it come up again and again, how much a writer's life is worth. Um, because that's an interesting thing too. We're, we're seeing a smaller, uh, more close knit writers than maybe there has been in the recent history. They used to be three times as many writers, uh, but a lot of them died. What thirty of them die in that final assault on Eden? So we are still post-war. It's a good reminder that we are still in a post-war community that's lost. It a gets lot. lost a lot, and in the book, the writers don't forget because they they see a room that doesn't have as many people as they used to have. And I think that's something I really like seeing in Deacon. Deacon remembers those people. He remembers people that no one else remembers anymore. Um, there's the guy that died for him. Right. And he struggles with that idea that somebody thought he was worth dying for um, and that he sort of wants people to live. Um, And I think that's where what Gideon wants. Gideon wants them to have a reason to live for sector one, which, you know, we see as a theme in the Beyond books whenever we have our 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 assassins do good. Uh, um, But it's it's really neat to sort of see how that plays out for different people in different ways, because we're also going to come back to this theme when we go to Ivan. So Anna's really just concerned about their relationships and what it does to them if they don't think they're worth living, the decisions that they make when they think their lives are expendable um, and how it hurts them. It hurts them tactically and it hurts them as people if they think, well, if I don't come back, it's okay. That and moving plot kind of in our plot discussion towards the end of the book, we get to the point where basically um, they are going to, they have to find a way to get out of the suicide gangs. Deacon has to keep the family, has to keep everybody else safe because throughout the course of the book, the suicide kings kind of make their presence increasingly known and kind of 
their attacks get the closer and closer know to home. Marisela. Oh. oh my God, that scene and just the idea. Like, <laughs> uh, 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 mm, yes, it's a very creepy scene. Just that idea of somebody mm-hmm. who's there to hurt you, not hurting you, but being so close and interacting with you and you not knowing, like not realizing how close you could have come to danger. But there's this really great moment where, you know, Deacon promises that he's not going, he's not trying to go on a suicide mission. He's not trying to get himself killed. He doesn't want to die, but he also like, this is his history and his battle to get squared away. And so like he makes them all promise at a certain moment that they will leave him if he says to leave him. And Anna literally Mm -hmm. says Mm -hmm. like, fuck no, like I'm not going to do that, (laughs) which is really interesting and comes up later because like, which, like, of course, yes, obviously, no, like, no. But also, like, it because she wants to be a writer, and part of that is the mm-hmm. submission to authority, right? It is the submission to the leader of the writers. But she bumps up against that when this is the order from the leader. And so it starts to highlight that. And that, again, again comes up when, at the very end, they kind of have to decide in this very tense last minute decision if it's tactically safe or if they're just going to do it anyway and how they're going right, to get Deacon Right, and I love Deacon that out. her defense becomes, uh, it wasn't just because I love you, stupid. It's because I thought I could do it. Because if I thought I just had to come back for you, I would have just gone by myself. Like, I don't sacrifice other people yeah. for my love. My love would have been just my own. Um, so yes, I love you. And that's why I went back for you. But I wouldn't have let them go with me if I thought it was a suicide mission. And also because it would have hurt them not to let them try to save you. And that's a huge thing of like realizing that somebody's loss would be as hurtful as the risk of not going back for him. Yeah. And I love that moment when Anna says like, and she really defends her actions of saying like, yes, I went back for him because I love him, but that doesn't make going back Mm -hmm. for him the wrong decision. Like, like just because I love him doesn't mean I was so overcome Mm -hmm. with love for him that I wasn't thinking tactically or that like, that it wasn't, that I wasn't still weighing out the risks of going after him. And like you said, like she had cleared the building of civilians. She had made, you know, the other writers made their mm-hmm. tactical choices about whether they were going to go back for him. And so again, it's very much so like about agency, but it is also, you know, the thesis that those two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive that like love romantic relationship attached, or even just like mm-hmm. relationship attachments, emotional attachments don't always or necessarily override or preclude or mean that you can't also be acting in a way that's Mm -hmm. logically beneficial. Mm -hmm. Like you can Mm -hmm. do both. (laughs) Both can exist simultaneously, which is when we get that explanation from Gideon that like he knows that he was kind of counting on that. That's why he wants Anna there. He literally said, and it's like, I really teared up in that scene because he literally says like he put her on Mm -hmm. her team for her heart like for her heart and her compassion and her ability to be able to have that emotional background and emotional fuel without it shutting down her ability to continue to think right that she has for the group. this tactical knowledge that she has this 
knowledge of who the writers are and she loves them um, because that means that she's not going to break down. She's not going to make terrible decisions, but she's going to make decisions that protect them. Um, and yeah, I, that's such a moment where she gets affirmed for her feelings and not told that they're a detriment or they don't belong, but that actually makes her a better writer. Because that, that scene is almost like she, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a call mm-hmm. to the principal's office scene, right? Like she knows that she's made a decision that may, maybe wasn't the best tactical decision, like really did, you know, could have not ended that way. It could have not ended with a rescue. Like mm-hmm. she was pretty sure she was very confident, but things happen. And so she then kind of has to have a debriefing with Gideon and she goes in really kind of already on the defensive. I think she's even thinking that she's not going to be a writer when she walks out of there. Yeah, she's she's ready to, you know, I think in her head, yeah, she's with her tias mm-hmm. at the bakery. She's kind of gearing up to take over that new life. And yeah, so it's a really nice, like you said, affirming moment when Gideon says, you're right. And that's really all mm-hmm. he says. He says, you're right. I'm glad that you did it. I'm, you know, like his problem with her is not that she went back for Deacon. It's the way she talked to Deacon before the mission even started. And it's when he says to her, like, if you want to be a writer, you have to be a writer. And that means following orders. Like if you had like, or not even following orders, but like, it's that thing of like being respectful in how you address your issues. Like if you have an issue with the order, you don't right. tell your commanding officer to fuck himself. Like not in front of everybody else, not on the floor. Like you take that solo. And so like that's his thing. Right. We 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 need to have us we ha- we need to have a hierarchy in order to run this well and for people not to be pulled different directions. But I think it's also like a wake up moment for her to know that there is a place where she can express that counter opinion It that she doesn't have to swallow it. She doesn't just have to. But it's about time and place. And that basically he says, my door's always open um, to her and that that's why he wants her there. Yeah. And I think that and that is really important. And I think that because that's not like I respect but ultimately like Mm -hmm. that is a problem that I would share also right is it's like it's the time and place thing and it's the you will be heard but you cannot do this here now like this because the undermining you will do of the group as a whole will be more than or like have bigger impact than whatever it is like this issue that you're trying to raise like in the moment and so it is very much so this kind of like reminder to Anna that like being in the writers mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. what it means, you know, and it comes with all of those things. And at the same time, then, you know, de- and I think it's really interesting because this is also the time when, like, they're kind of laying all their cards out on the table, her and Gideon. And she tells Gideon, like, and she really kind of opened his eyes to the fact that, like, well, she has never necessarily been mm-hmm. tokenized. She is the token. Like, she is the token woman. And she opens, like, she reminds him that, like, that's a lot of pressure and that puts her in this position to be this have to bear all that weight of like any future girl who might want to be a writer or just anybody in the community who looks to her to act and be in that way because she is a writer and he doesn't realize how much that pressure has yeah, so been on her. opens the door for our the fabulous entry uh, we have there uh, Laurel. <laughs> making her 
many fantastic scenes stealing moments in this book. Uh, <laughs> so heavily armed and so sassy and also very tender uh, because we get to see uh, a moment where, you know, she thinks, it, yeah, Montgay Bontero uh, is hurt and she's by his bedside um, hoping he wakes up and he doesn't know that later. Uh, oh, that's perfect. I'm yeah, so geeked later. for that. <laughs> and it is, I love it so much. And it's extra interesting because we've seen, you know, mm-hmm. we read the uh, Okay for Life novella where we see Laurel and Six have this conversation. So having read that, and I, do we know, does that chronologically Before. take place in universe before this which is good because we learn in that one that laurel is very much so kind of looking for a place like she doesn't necessarily want to be six's second in command she's looking for somewhere to go right because we have a scene in 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 that okay for life novella basically she gets the mission of like okay you 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 can't be my second in command you need to go something broader you have sort of this like she's taking down like murderers and people around or like people who are exploiting people uh, around the sectors. So she's basically out Mm -hmm. there being a vigilante with like Six's blessing. And Mm -hmm. she's now going to sort of, so that's what brings her into the, uh, the writer's circuit because she is also investigating the suicide Kings because they're not good people and they're up to no good, Mm -hmm. but now she's going to maybe not do it alone. Um, And I just love the bonding and the, you know, all the weapon sharpening. <laughs> yes. Well, because Laura, that's the thing is Laurel very much so feels mm-hmm. cast in a similar mold mm-hmm. to six. Like, obviously, they're very different people, but there is a kind of because they share like some background stuff like they're very mm-hmm. much so is that same kind of like energy there. And like, I love already. And I think because we just came up this big series read, like we're even more primed to see it, but like Mm -hmm. those little Mm -hmm. anchor points already being laid down of like, we're only in book two and already we Mm -hmm. see her sitting Mm -hmm. next to Gabe's bed and Gabe has no idea. (laughs) And you know that she's going to come up and like four more books down the road when it's finally their turn. And we're going to find out that like, she's been secretly pining for him since she sat by his bedside. We also get the setup for Ivan and Maricela, uh, though I think he should have been called Ivan. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> I like Ivan. I know. I know. I just I like skinny blonde white <laughs> Ivan. He's so cute. He's so cute. He looks so, oh, so he looks so adorably so awkward with funny. that giant gun on the cover of the next book. I'm just saying. Yes. It's very yeah. I love the oh, covers to dress. these books. Just like side note, I love the covers to these books. Um yeah, but and that's and uh but yeah, Ivan and Maricela's relationship is mm-hmm. interesting because again, that's another one that like mm-hmm. is a trope. That is really mm-hmm. fun and kind mm-hmm. of simple. like the bodyguard princess, like bodyguard person, their guarding relationship. But mm-hmm. like, and like, who we cannot even start to talk about it now because there's so much. But like Ivan's history and his relationship to everything. And it just like already there's so much stuff there on top of like, I love that this book ends with this little meeting and they're like assigning bodyguards and Ivan volunteers <laughs> to take care of Marisa. And she's like... <laughs> No, no, I'm already so into you. If I have to start hanging around you all the time, we are definitely going to bang and we cannot bang. And this is not okay. Well, and this is a whole thing of like, 
she needs to get married sometime. So better she better start getting some action because but she like needs to, to the right pick. guy, right? Yeah, she Isabella ne- basically is like, ah, uh, there's somebody out here who'll sex you up if that's what's keeping you. And so the person she goes to is the one person who's like, I will protect your body and your virtue. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. he's like, no. God, there's that one moment where they're they're cracking jokes and she's like, you know, smile never hurt anyone. And he's like, I don't know. I think smiles have been known to kill. It's just like that deadpan, like not yeah. joking joke thing. It's like when we heard yeah. Ashwin making yeah. knock knock jokes in the first book because it's just <laughs> so, so removed, but also so perfect. Yeah, but there's just this, the way that Brie and Donna are managing to balance and navigate what is actually like the more we talk about it, obviously, like a very complicated and conflicting at times relationship between all of these things and I think it's you know it's one thing to create this huge cast of characters in this kind of like rough and tumble Mm -hmm. party Mm -hmm. group on the surface that obviously has all this like depth beneath it but it's a very different kind of challenge to basically create an entire religious like politico religious power institution but also really try and be subverting so many of the ways that those things function in our world, right? Because this is a religious, like, country, basically. Mm -hmm. This is like a a theocracy, but also, like, it is a theocracy that's not, like, super heteronormative, and it's a theocracy that's not super white, and it's a theocracy that's not necessarily just, doesn't have that one singular direct correlation to an established religion in our actual world. And so it's a very interesting... Right, is it a cult? It's not a cult, it's a faith is it a belief system and everybody has different ways and you have this extreme piety but also this uh power maneuvering um there's so many layers and it's a big world and i think it deals with some bigger concepts that we we even dealt with in the beyond books so you know i know they got the the mercenary librarian stuff coming out but i'm gonna hold out in hope that between here and 2040, uh, we get more uh, awesome uh, Gideon's Writer's books. I just I just hope we will get as many Gideon's Writer books. Like, I'm here for the long haul if we can get a million <laughs> Gideon's Writer's words to go with our million O'Kane world words. Nope. No pressure, Brandana. You only have the rest of <laughs> your here. lives. It's fine. We're going to bug you <laughs> from the nursing home. Okay. We're here. We're not going anywhere. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Do we, in wrapping up, favorite moments, like really top favorite moments or things that maybe didn't click as well or didn't quite, you know, it because there's so much going on, anything that maybe didn't get as much page time as you wanted? Yeah. For me, the thing that worked the best was uh, how dorky, Deacon was when he goes to the TSS house. Um, he has no chill. Uh, he's into Anna and everybody knows it. And he's like unloading pastries and checking her out. So I just love that because he's been so stern and together. And when he cracks, he just cracked. Um, so I really like And then I love her TS too. Like I love that like they come in and they're like expecting her to be there with one guy but as soon as they find out with Deacon they're all kind of like on the chismosas and they're like yeah they're like perking up and they're like already kind of starting to plot and plan um I think my favorite thing or like my favorite 
thing that we keep seeing and I want to just see mm-hmm. more of is Dell, right? Like tattoos as a thing have we've already seen play such an important part in the beyond world like between the you know O'Kane marks and aces tattoo work and stuff and like but the tattoos in sector one Mm -hmm. like function Mm -hmm. really differently and Dell as an artist and almost kind of this like mysticism that she's been kind of imbued with because she's so compassionate and she's so good at like reading people and stuff it's really fascinating i'm really hoping that down the line we can get like a tatiana style like novella for adele so we can really kind of see like what she's got going on because they remind me a lot you know of each i, other I, for I get reason. that These kind same of, like, feeling slightly too. older women who have this like craft and they're very into their craft and forming that as like a center post of their life but also they have such reaching like kind of fingers to all the community input aspects and so like they're they character wise they strike me as like really pair they share a lot of like parallels that i think it would be really interesting to get a novella well, I think for there's Del. a patreon short for her right the priestess um but i haven't read it yet so i don't know what's in it but i sort of i want to know her history where did she come from where did the rios family find her how she related to the rios family please tell me more um I've also not read Priestess. I really am hoping that we get a scene between Ace <laughs> and Dell because, like, you know that they've talked before. Like, obviously, there's enough overlap in this community that, like, mm-hmm. they haven't not talked before. But, like, yeah, the tattoos yeah. work so differently in the communities. And, like, Ace is so the way he is. But and Dell is way... so the way she is. That, like, seeing them interact with each other. But, like, they're both so respectful mm-hmm. of artists and artistry. And, like, it's not that I think there would be any, like... I could almost see there being a very kind of, like, friendly competition from Ace's side. And then Dell just kind of being, like... Yeah. Do you Whatever, have a bro. temple? I don't like, think we know, so. Like, I know what's up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. Like, you you can have a competition with me, and I will just be over here being But, I mean, I Madel think both self, of them so. have that element of tattoos are something they do to people uh, more than people come to them for tattoos. Because there's a little bit of a surrender that occurs when Ace tattoos you too you know like he's putting those thorns around your wrist or he's gonna he's he he is trying to interpret something for you um but there's not as prophetic they're more like this is how i see you and Dell has that but she's also like i'm also like an oracle for our, our god well and it's very like it's so interesting because like in the Beyond books, most of the tattoo scenes we get are like sexual, yeah, hypersexual, right? Like there is not a time when somebody's really, even in the most like <laughs> quote PG for the okay world turns, like even when it's just Rachel in the chair and nobody's there with her, like she yeah. is still getting off just mm-hmm. on the process of being tattooed. So it's like there's this very kind of like sexual aspect that I think very is like somehow kind of tied to or almost kind spiritual. of mirrors this like yeah. spiritual psychological mm-hmm. release or realization mm-hmm. that Dell is operating on and like they almost feel like two sides of like a very similar coin in terms of like those are very distinct ways and aspects of how people yeah. can reflect back to yeah. you like yeah. a truth of yourself right is through like your sex or your spirituality or those kinds of like super vulnerable 
psychological places to go that I think, yeah, I think watching the two of them interact with each other would be really, like, fascinating. So, (laughs) add it to the list, Brie and Donna. All right, friends. I think that about wraps up all of our thoughts on Deacon, which means that we are officially geared up for the third, and at this current point, final published novel in the Gideon's Writer Books, although we do still have, like we just mentioned, some of the Patreon yeah, shorts Patreon that we need shorts, to get to. And I do know that they were working on one of these coming books. Uh, but mm-hmm. they're in line yeah. behind the Mercerini uh, librarians, and I totally understand that. We will still be here when they come back. Yes. Oh, yes, we will be here when they come back. We will be here to talk about mercenary librarians. <laughs> we are not going anywhere quite yet, but we will specifically back in just a couple of weeks to talk about Ivan, which, as we mentioned, is our uh, bodyguard <laughs> and princess, forbidden love, wrong side of House the tracks, party mystery. kind of. <laughs> oh, God, it's so good. So it's many like, great so things. as as is always the case, friends, so many things will be happening. Until then, do you want to let them know where they can find us, Anna? Yeah, you can find us at beyondthesectors.com and on Twitter as Beyond Sectors. And I am on Twitter as An Outlaw Life. And I'm there as Anna Koki. And until next time, friends, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you beyond the sectors. Bye, guys. Bye.